because I didn't ring the bell, but we'll ring the bell for them. Good to see everybody this morning. We're going to keep going here in our study in the book of Romans. Um, we're down in chapter 2. We're going to start here in verse 6 and uh, catch the, 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 in, the, the issue here in this uh, second, this first plea of defense for, of man. Again, chapter 1, the, we're in a courtroom. So if you think about a courtroom, uh, the judge is in place uh, and the prosecuting attorney is the Apostle Paul. Uh, presenting the case against humanity, so humanity is the defense, and Paul has laid out in chapter 1 the, the, the arraignment hearing, the, the charges, to the point that in the end, uh, man is guilty. And now the judge says, does the defense have an, uh, anything to say? And of course they jump up, and they're now going to begin to defend the accusation. Uh, and again, we're, man has come up with some great defense mechanisms. First of all, they object to the fact that the Apostle Paul throws them in the category, all in the same category as a sinner. What do you mean I'm a sinner? What, you know, and I'm not a sinner, I'm a good guy and so forth. And so he begins to, man, a man is creative and uh, sinful humanity comes up with everything. And the first, def the first defense here is in chapter 2, the first 10 verses, and it's the issue of self-righteousness. And we, we look down through verse, well, let's just start reading in verse 1. Therefore thou art an inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgeth. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. So man's self-righteousness shows up. Wait a minute, I'm not as bad as that guy. That guy's really bad. What do you mean? I'm not a, you throw me in that list in chapter 1, starting in verse 29, 29, 30, 31 there, that whole, all those, you know, pretty rotten things. Oh, well, I'm not that guy. I didn't do that. I'm not that bad, you know. So, again, the self-defense mechanisms come in, self-justification, self-righteousness, all of that gets into the picture. Then verse 2, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to what? Truth. And that's what Paul does here. Paul lays out four, about six different uh, courtroom scenarios of how the court is going to judge. How the judgment of God is according to truth. In other words, he's not going <laughs> to, it's going to be absolute truth. It's going to be the truth. He says there, and in John, sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. Okay? So he's going to use truth, a, 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 an absolute that's outside of man, that's outside of the, the scenario. Okay? Comes in. Then he says, verse 3, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, that thou, that, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. You're not going to get away from the judgment of God. It's going to get you. And we looked last time where, where the scoffers there in 2 Peter 3, and oh, how long has it been? You told us he was coming, and he's not coming, and, and Peter warns them. Hey, you don't, don't think God's slack concerning his promise. He's going to get you. 
and he will get you. And when he does, it's going to be, uh-oh, spaghetti-o. But man thinks that they can do what? Escape the judgment. Then, and, and by the way, verse 1, 2, 3, thou judgest, you do the same things, you condemn yourself. You know what that proves? That proves that man has a conscience. Your conscience, your standards of norms, your norms and standards, the little voice in your head that says, I really shouldn't do that because it's wrong. Or the verse, or, or that little voice says, it's, okay, it's right to do this. It's that moral compass, they call it. That, that thing that God planted in man, back in chapter 1 when we saw the witness there, that he plants in man that issue of, hey, I know what is right and I know what is wrong. And when man begins to come on board with that, then you look over there and he says, there it is. And that conscience, you know, growing up, your mom and dad influence your conscience greatly. So do your grandparents. And they begin to mold what you consider to be right and wrong. What I would consider to be right, you might consider to be wrong because you were raised in a different environment. What I say, look at that and go, man, I would never do that. But the per individual doing it doesn't have any second thought about it being a wrong thing to do. Okay? And, and that's what's happening here. So the judgment of God, and again, that's the issue. Verse 5, and after thy hardness and impenitent heart, what? Treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Again, the judgment of God. But here is that, for, that the, the number next one, the issue of treasuring up. It's going to pile on. It's accumulative. If you've ever, hopefully you've never gone to court <laughs> and, and had to be in court. But when you watch it on court TV, they don't just get, we, they just had that shooting in Westgate. So they got the guy for attempted murder on three counts. Another attempted something on three counts. And then five counts of unlawfully discharging the weapon. That means he shot that gun five times. That's what it means, okay? See how it just piled up? It wasn't enough that he shot him, but now we're going to pile it up. Because what does it do? It takes it out of the misdemeanor category into the felony category, and then it makes it into a hate crime and all the other stuff that they can do what with it? Pile on the guy, charge-wise, so they can get him convicted and, and helped and put away. So treasuring up, it accumulates. It just gets worse. You think you're doing good, and guess what happens? You ain't doing so good, <laughs> okay? And it's against that day of wrath. Now, when we come to verse 6... 6 to 10, this is where we're at now. He who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth good, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. This little section here causes a lot of trouble in the minds of a lot of people. And you have to be very careful here. 
Because what Paul is describing is coming out of verse number 5, against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous, what? Judgment of God. So what Paul's describing is how the judgment of God is going to work out if you don't take the plea deal. Remember the plea deal from last time? The plea deal is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Calvary, the cross, work. If you decide to thumb your nose at the plea deal, reject it, and you're going to stand before the justice bar, the bench, guess what's going to happen? Here's how he's going to judge you. He's going to judge you according to your deeds, your merits. And we have to be mindful here, by the way, I'll just say, of the backdrop that, our, that the gospel sits on, which is that issue of our ultimate condition, is one of not so good. It's one of wrath. It's one of indignation. Tribulation, verse 9, and anguish upon every soul. It, the backdrop and where we stand as humanity. Now I look around the room, and mo, uh, I know all of you, all of you are in Christ. So I'm not talking about you specifically, but what I'm talking about is that condition before you came to Christ. This was your, sta- this was your condition. And it's extremely harsh. It's extremely tough but not tough in that you don't talk about it. People always say, oh, Paul never talks about hell. No, he doesn't say a lot about the word, using the word hell, but he talks a lot about anguish and wrath and judgment. He uses different terminology to talk about it. This passage from verse 6 to 10 gets used by various religious denominations to present another, to present the explanation for the plan of salvation. To, to get saved. How to have eternal life. Now, it isn't intended to provide a description of the plan of salvation. Okay? The Roman Catholic Church is the big one. They use this passage to say, that no one goes to heaven without them earning it and working in it. And they use this passage, verse 7, to them who by patient continuance in what? Well-doing. Then they say, well, verse 8, but but of them that are contentious, so you're not, if you're contentious, you're not continuing in well-doing, are you? You get hell, purgatory, then you can pray your way out maybe. Or you can go to heaven and just work your way there. See that? Now, how, what is the plan of salvation through the Apostle Paul, my gospel? It's by faith and faith alone, isn't it? This, is, this has the activity of what? Works involved. Romans 11, if you just flip over to chapter 11. Um, Romans 11, verse number 6. It's a great verse to remember when you're thinking, for your, thinking about things yourself or when you're dealing with other people. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. (laughs) Guess what? Work and grace is oil and water. They don't go together. Actually, they cancel out each other. If works are involved, grace sits down and says, I'll just wait till you get done. And then as soon as you get done, grace stands up and the work sits down. and, And so... They don't even belong in the same dish with each other. 
I'll come back to chapter 2. So what Paul is describing here, again, is not a work it out and you'll get there. It is not a, a formula for salvation outside of the one given to him, which is faith alone. Okay? Again, this passage gets used because people don't realize what he's, what he's talking about. He's describing the consequences of the justice of God as he is going to do what? Verse 6. He's going to render judgment. I mean, you know, the judge renders his decision, hands down his decision, and it's going to be according to your deeds. It's going to be according to your merit. So what Paul is going to describe here now in these next verses is how and what it looks like when God judges. This is how God's going to judge humanity. He's going to do it according to their deeds. So if you want to stand before the judge, knock yourself out. If you want to take the risk, knock yourself out. Again, God is a gentleman. I, I've said that to you. If you want something bad enough, he'll let you have it. He really will. You can come to the book and you can prove everything under the sun from that Bible right there. He'll let you have it. The problem is, is he also knows your attitude and your, and your motive, and he'll let you have that as well. So if you want to stand before the, judgments, the judgment of God, you want, to, you want to refuse the plea deal, the offer of the, the work of his son, here's what he's going to do to you. Here's what it's going to look like. You know, I said it last week. No, a good lawyer knows the answer to the question before he asks the question. Guess what man's going to know? Man knows what it's going to look like before they ever get in front of the judge. Now, what, man, what is man going to do? I didn't know. Nobody ever told me that. And you know what the Lord's going to say? Yeah, I did. It's right there. It's not my problem you didn't pick the book up. It's not my problem that you, oh, by the way, let's look at your book as he opens the books there at the Great White Throne Judgment. Let's look at that book. Yeah, see, look, you had an opportunity here, 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 and here. You have the opportunity. It sits in front. And today, with Facebook and Internet, you, you, there's no way that, that people don't see, you know, and hear. So look at verse 7 real quick here. To them who by patience, continuance, and well-doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality, eternal life. Two parts in this verse. Part one, you're going to live a life of an unbroken goodness, continuance in well-doing. By the way, he adds that word patient, doesn't he? <laughs> How patient do... Listen, we've been home. You know, you've been stuck at home. I go out in the car. Linda gets in the car. She goes, I ain't ever riding with you again. Impatient. It's like, come on, people. What are you doing out here? You're not supposed to be out. You're supposed to be at home. I'm only supposed to be out. <laughs> what are you doing, you know? <laughs> and, and Linda's like, man, Rick, you, you got to quit driving. Dude. <laughs> you know, just get in, the car, get in the car seat. I'll drive, <laughs> you know? Why? Because you get what? Impatient. So how are you doing with patience, continuance, and well-doing? Not so good. Part two, then, is to seek for glory and honor and immortality. Motive to what you are doing. If you can do 
all of the living an unbroken life of unbroken goodness, what's your motive for what you're doing? Now look at verse 10. By the way, verse 7, he'll give you eternal life. That's the part where everybody gets, oh, you know, we'll go there, we're going to go to heaven. But it doesn't say heaven, does it? It says what? Eternal life. It's interesting. This is not about a place. This is actually going to be about the experience of the soul and about you. You're not going to heaven. It always cracks me up. Well, if I do that, I get to go to heaven. It doesn't say that. It says eternal life. Verse 10. But glory, honor, and what? Peace to every man that worketh good. See, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And again, the Jew first, he says at the end of verse 9 and 10, who's the first ones that are going to grasp this? We look back at that in chapter 1 there in verse 16. The Jews will because they have the word of God. They understand what the judgment of God's all about. They got that. The Gentiles are catch up, catching up. So the first guys that are going to hit it have the opportunity to understand what Paul's talking about are the Jews. And the Gentiles are getting there. And again, this isn't, you know, I, I just heard, <laughs> I, I shouldn't read so much stuff on the internet, but I do. I don't comment because then I'm in a fight and I don't, I don't and then they suck up my time. But this guy's making a thing about Paul had a message to the Jews first. Then he had a different message over here to the Gentiles second. His Acts ministry and then his Epistle ministry. And I'm like, oh, I want to say something really bad, you know, because it's just tomfoolery, okay? Verse 7, uh, so Paul here, again, he's talking about the experience Verse 9, tribulation and anguish upon every, what, soul of man. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the experience of a living soul enjoying eternal life in contrast to that living soul living in eternal punishment, everlasting destruction, wrath, anguish, tribulation, indignation there. So the issue isn't going to be the place, heaven or hell. The issue is their eternal experience. So we begin to see here the ultimate destruction of, of, the, of one who rejects God, one who rejects his claims to who he is, one who rejects his son. There's trouble coming down the pipeline. Verse 6, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Again, the criteria of God's judgment is going to be according to your deeds, your merits. How'd you do? And remember, he sees it all. We said, we talked last time, every idle word, you know. Oh, hey, man, you look good today, dirty, rotten rat. I just wish he wouldn't be here. Oh, hey, man. oh, man, that's a wonderful dress. Man, that's just a stupid woman. She just Every idle word. They didn't hear, but he did. That's your deeds, see. Verse 7, part 1, continuance and well-doing. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing. Come over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. In verse 10, 
Continuance, that issue of continuance. You know what that is? That's never stopping. That's never quitting. That's never uh, next hour we're going to look at the dispensation of the fullness of times, kind of clean up some of the stuff I did at the end of the hour last last week and, and, and lay some things out on the board for you and so you can kind of get an idea, a feel for the, the, I call it the DOFT, the dispensation of the fullness of times. And when, when you, you see what God was doing since day one, you know what? He never stopped. He had a plan, day one. Actually, he had a plan before the foundation of the world. And he never, he continuanced in well-doing. So guess who the standard is? He is. See, it was Galatians 3. Look at verse 10. Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the work, uh, I'm sorry, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in how many things? All things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Isn't that interesting? Notice how continuance is defined for you. Continuing not in all things. Come over to James. James chapter 2. You see, God, continuance in well-doing. Uh, James 2. God says, look guys, the justice of God has a standard here. It has an expectation. And that expectation is that you're going to continue all the way down in well-doing. And you're not going to stop one time. Who has ever done that? Only one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. So then guess what is, so God's justice, part of his, that, man, that, that is the legal arm of his righteousness, takes his righteous stand, rightness, his standards. God, remember we, when we started, we talked about God's righteousness back in chapter 1, and he's holy, holy, holy. He's a holy God. He has integrity. And what makes up his integrity, which is a part of his holiness, is the issue of his rightness, his righteousness, and his justice. And his righteousness demands perfect righteousness. And justice says, who has perfect righteousness? In the throne room in Revelation 4 there, and they say, who is worthy to open the book, the sealed book? And they say, the lamb is. Why? Because he did what? He continued in well-doing all the way across the board. He did what God the Father had planned for him. So anyone who thinks that they can match that standard, come on up, step up. Continuance in well-doing. That's the standard. Continueth not in all things is what? Guilty, cursed. You know what God says? I hold all, everybody, every man to the same standard. I don't, I don't take a payoff in the corner over here. I hold all to the same standard, and that standard is my son, the Lord Jesus Christ over there, because guess what he did? He did it all. See, God demands of himself absolute, unbroken perfection. So guess what he's going to demand of you? Same thing. 
And you know what man does? Man comes along, ah, well, you just didn't know what kind of day I had in June of 22 of 1988. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> you don't know what kind of man I married over there. <sighs> you don't know what kind of woman I married. Yeah, he does know. He does. He knows. You don't know what kind of brats I had for kids, man. He knows. James 2, look at verse 10. Here's the, here it is, James 2.10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in what? How many points? One point. He's what? Guilty of all. How many sins did it take Adam and Eve to get kicked out of the garden? Just one. And you know what? With that, by, one, by one man's sin entered into the world. So death passed upon all. Romans 5.12. It only took one. You know what Romans 3.23 says? For all have sinned and done what? Come short of the glory, the standard, the perfection. It, again, it only takes one, come back to Romans 2, to mess it up. In continuance to them who by patient continuance and well-doing... You know what man does? Man pulls the old, well, you know what? God really didn't mean what he said. We looked back in chapter 1 when we went down through 22, 23 there about how they de-glorify God. They bring him down. And really by doing that, they then de-glorify themselves and their, and their activities there. That's what man does. Man takes, your, I'm come short of the glory of God. Okay, well, we'll fix that glory thing. We'll fix the standard, and we'll bring it down into the mud puddle with us. And God says, no, it's right here. Now part two of verse seven is the seek. For glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. You know what? It's not enough to buy patience and continuance and well-doing. But here now, the part two is you have to do it for the right reasons. Seeking. Why are you continuing in well-doing? You're doing it for a reason. You're doing it for what? Glory and honor and immortality. See those three things there? You're doing it for a reason. You're not, oh, you know, you're not over here going, hey, you know what, here, here, take my car. I'll help you out. We, we were up on the rim last Saturday. We had a flat tire, and uh, I can change a tire might take me a few minutes and be all sweaty and huffy puffy, but I can still do it. So, but you know how many, tons of people, hey, need help? This one poor guy, he got out and he goes, I got a floor jack, man. We jacked that thing up right. I'm like, no, it's okay. I'm all, you know, and I don't, I told Lynn, I said, did I, do I look that old? <laughs> They're asking that they need help, but they, they weren't. What were they doing? Just being what? Helpful. See, at least I, I'm going to give it to them for that, okay? Think good of humanity, <laughs> okay? See, it's not more than that. It's also now, what's your motive behind it? And that's the rest of this verse, seeking for glory and honor and, and immortality. You know what man's going to do? And, and the reason that man now is going to put up his little, bow his little back here, is he's going to say, I'm going to prove to God that I'm equal to him. I'm going to, Prove to God that in my capabilities, 
You know what I can do? I can match him toe to toe. I can never slip up. I can never violate the law. I'm a good guy. This is human good, by the way. That's what we're looking at here is human good. I am not like that publican over there. Remember the guy and the Pharisee and the publican in the Gospels? The publican goes in there and beats on his chest, and I tithe, and I do this, the religious blowhard. He goes, I'm not like that publican. And what did the publican say? Dude, I'm a sinner. He's at the mercy. He's at the mercy seat of God and throws his hands. I'm nothing but a sinner, Lord. And you know what the Lord said? The publican went home forgiven. The Pharisee's in trouble. Now, that's the R.J. paraphrase, okay? You see, man's going to say, I'm completely equal with God, and I can earn it. And I'll be honest with you, that is a reflection of Lucifer's claim in Isaiah 14, when he says, I'll be like the Most High. It's unreal. It's uncanny how man has picked up some of the attitudes and attributes of Satan and thumbing them at the nose of the Godhead, saying, I can do it. Now, you know what? Could you imagine God sitting there going, oh, no, there's another God. <laughs> there he is. His name is Rick. There he is. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, that was too far. Okay. There he is, another God. He's not worried about that, is he? See? Glory. You know what God's glory says? I want people to recognize my achievements. God's honor. I want people to respond to my achievements. And immortality, you know what that does? Therefore, the Godhead with resurrection, we'll see a verse here in Psalms in just a minute where he goes, I want to live with the Father forever, immortality. But you know what man does? Man says the same thing. I want people to recognize my achievement. Win, 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 baby. Aren't we winning? I got my flag tie on and everything. You know, hey, it's Memorial Day weekend. We remember, hey, aren't, boy, it's been the best three and a half years in the stock market. In the and What's he doing? What's man doing? Not just the president, but the other. Look at, recognize my achievements. Honor. Man goes, hey, I need you to respond to them now. So I got to get you to do, come on, don't, come on, give me some honor. But what about that immortality thing? What are we always looking for? The fountain of youth. How can I prolong this and live a little longer? You know, it doesn't matter. Your death rate is still one apiece. It's appointed unto man once to die. Then the what? The judgment, and that's the problem. The achievements, just live a little longer. So these all have to do, all of this verse 7 has to do with doing stuff God's way. It also has to do with doing it according to his will. Come over to 2 Peter chapter 1. And it, ha and it ha also has to do here really, Again, doing it for the right reasons. What is your reasons for living a perfect life? And man thinks that I'm living a perfect life so that I can get something for it. Self-righteous, selfishness. The problem is that sin word. The middle letter is what? I. <laughs> 
pride, I, you know, the whole deal there. And again, 2 Peter 1, uh, yeah, 2 Peter, Second Peter 1, the only person that has ever done, the only person that ever has gotten to glory, honor, and immortality is the Lord Jesus Christ. Man's going to try. Man's going to come up and, by the way, what did the Lord ever receive from humanity? If you're living the perfect life and you're supposed to be living it based on for other people, what did the Lord receive from humanity? Absolutely nothing except for rejection. Now look at 2 Peter 1, verse 16. Peter here is defending himself again. <laughs> For we have not followed cunning, cunning devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father, notice, honor and what? Glory. Isn't that interesting? When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There's the formula for getting glory and honor right there. You're going to receive it from who? The father. But what did the son do? What the son's activity did, the father says, it pleased me. It's the Father that validates, that certifies everyone. And he says, what you're doing isn't for what the Son did. He didn't do it for his own reasons, for his own thanks. He did it for who? For the Father. You come over there, come over to John 8. You see, folks... That, by the way, the end of verse 17, in whom I am well pleased. What you've got to ask yourself is, is, is God pleased with my life? Not since you found him, but since day one birth. I mean, people, you know, you're guilty from day one. <laughs> you know, you just, it just takes a few years for you to resonate that issue in your thinking as a child. But you're guilty from day one. Is God pleased with you since day one? In everything. Not just the little, the big things. You see how quickly we go, ooh, ooh, plea deal. I'll take the plea deal. Give me the offer. What was that offer again? <laughs> Eternal life as a free gift. I'll take that, thank you. I'll take door number one. You see, the purpose for which, John 8, did I tell you that? John 8. The purpose for which you are doing what you're doing is it for the sake of, purpose, of pleasing the Father. Man is usually trying to please who? Himself. Do you see that big old backup out of Payson going up onto the rim yesterday or Friday? They, Payson, the traffic was backed all the way back down to, what did you say, Bumblebee or something like that? Or down, it was way down the road, okay? And where's everybody going? Get out of the heat. You know it ain't hot yet? Next week's going to be hot. This was, it was 90-something yesterday. So guess what we did? We stayed home. <laughs> guess what we're doing tomorrow? Staying home. Now, next weekend we might run for the hills. 
I don't know, 111 on whenever day, they, they said, I don't know, we'll see, okay? But see, what are they doing? They're not doing stuff to please God, they're doing what? Stuff to please themselves. John 8, Paul, the, the, the Lord says here, Paul doesn't say this, the Lord says it, verse 29, and he, that's the Father, that sent me, that's the Son, is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. For I do always those things that please him. That's the issue. The Lord Jesus Christ can do everything that pleases the Father. You can't. Romans 3.23. You fall short. Now that's powerful. Come back to Romans 2. Actually, Psalm 16. We've got to get immortality. Psalm 16. You see, folks... You know what the judgment of God's going to say? First of all, show me your perfect life of unbroken well-doing. Living perfectly. And oh, by the way, who'd you do it for? And so the, the, judgment, the justice bar is going to say, show me your certificate from the Father that says you did it. Where the Father, for you received from the Father glory and honor. And you know what? If you can, I'll give you eternal life, immortality. Okay? Now look at Psalm 16. Psalm 16. There's only 11 verses in this wonderful chapter here. Okay? But I need just drop down verse 7. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night season. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Acts chapter 2, David says that of talking and concerning about the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. When Peter uses this passage, he's talking about the cross work. Verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth, my flesh also shall rejoice in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. See how David's talking, because he's the writer of the psalm, but he's talking about the Lord. By the way, he's also going to be talking about that believing remnant, the nation of Israel. He's talking about all three. Why? Because the Lord is all three. Now watch verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 11. Thou will show me the path of life. By the way, when he says there in verse 10, thou will not leave my soul in hell. Hell has those two compartments, Abraham's bosom and the torment side. He's talking about resurrection there. Resurrection life, immortality. Verse 11, thou will show me the path of, of what? Of life in thy presence is the fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You know what the Lord's saying there to the Father? I want to get back home. I want to get back to you. And the only way for me to do that is to have what? Immortality. To have resurrection. So when you come back to Romans 2, what does verse 7 end with? Hey, if you can do part 1 and part 2, guess what the gift's going to be? Eternal life. And you know what man said? Again, man just wants to live forever, doesn't he? If he didn't, 
science wouldn't be doing half of what it's doing to fix things. They'd just let you die, you know? They wouldn't be trying to prolong life. Uh, Joe, Glenn, Joe Glenn, John Glenn, the astronaut, his wife died last week. Was she like 102 or something? 100? They said she died of COVID-19. No, she died of being 100 years old. Now, COVID might have been involved, but she died because she was, what, 100 years old. Age gets you. You know, it's like the guy that got bit by the shark and died, and they said, said COVID-19 got him. No, being bitten. Now, that's a, that's a funny. That's a meme. That wasn't true, okay? That's on Facebook. You know, you know not everything on Facebook's lie. You know, they got the other meme I saw was that the guy's hanging out the front windshield in a car accident, and there's a news reporter going, COVID got you, right? And it's like, that's how nutty it is. Verse 8, 2-8, we've got to get moving. But unto them, notice it's them that are, well, here's man, contentious. And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. All that stuff in chapter 1, start in verse 18 and go down through. There's man. When that guy shows up before the bar, What's he going to get? He's going to try to prove that he's what? Verse 7. Here, here's my credentials. And rather, this guy walks in. He ain't even trying to do that. He's like, yep, I'm here, and I'm better than you. And he's just puffing his little chest out. Bony little thing he is. And you know what God says? Indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish. Verse 9, there upon every soul of man that doeth evil. That is the attitude, that's God's attitude right there. And the expression of God's attitude is the issue of indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish. But I want you to notice the issue is upon every soul of man. He's talking again about the experience of the soul. Because the soul, come back to Matthew 10, is a component of you, Matthew 10, that it is you that never die, that cannot die. Now, I know when you say it like that, people go, yeah, but hang on a minute, you know. Matthew 10, 28, Matthew 10, 28, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. See, the soul can't be killed, but... Rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, kill and destroy are two different words. You know how you know that? They're spelled different. And to destroy something doesn't always mean annihilation or a cease to exist thing. Okay? So you have to be careful. And what I know what people do. They pull the Greek and the Hebrew out, and they start doing the language dance. Then they go over and get a new Bible and this and that because we don't like these verses because it promotes who the Lord Jesus Christ, the judge, it can do. And so they do all this song and dance. But the issue here is the issue of judgment. Come over to 2 Thess- uh, yeah, Thessalonians 1. Let me just show you here. 2 Thessalonians 1. Because if you destroy doesn't 
all, doesn't mean to completely annihilate or to cause to cease from to exist. There's something going on with that soul. It isn't to kill it off. By the way, your body, does it, is it destroyed eventually? Yeah. It goes back to the what? To the dirt. But it's still there. But it's where? In the dirt. See? But, it's, but we would say it's what? It's destroyed. Okay? First, 2 Thessalonians 1. The Apostle Paul, verse 6, seeing it is a righteous thing which God, with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed, revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch, verse 9. Who shall be, what? Punished. By the way, hell is, is punishment. It's not rehab. It's not a rehab, you know, rehab place. It is punishment. It's meant to punish. It's real. <coughs> it's uh, eternal. And, it, and, it, and it's a conscious thing. You're, you're very aware of it. But look at verse 9. Who shall, be, who shall punish shall be punished with everlasting what? Isn't that interesting? From the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Everlasting destruction. Now think about that concept. Everlasting destruction. Destroy. You know what that means? That means it never ceases to exist. The soul of man is constantly being what? Destroyed. Destructed. Broke down, but he never stops existing. You, you, you see that? Come over to Mark 9. Wonderful passage in Mark 9. We, man, we, we've, we've studied about hell here in the past and stuff, and, and eternal damnation, it, eternal judgment is it, stuff that people shy away from it because it offends the hearer. Because this is harsh, it's rough. Not because, it, you know, it's truth, but... People just don't like it because it offends people. Well, you know what? The truth hurts. It needs to still be said and laid out. Mark 9, notice verse 43. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. Again, this is the Lord talking with uh, the little flock, with Israel. For it is better for thee to enter into life, maim, than to having two hands to go into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. So if God can create a fire that's everlasting, it'll never be quenched, don't you think he can handle destroying a soul and it, and it always be there? We're there. Notice there is the person, T-H-E-I-R. Their worm dieth not. That, that description of the worm, that's the description of the, of the degenerative nature of the lost, of their soul. The Lord, when he's hanging on the Calvary's tree, he looks up, Father, I am but a worm. He had been made sin. And he says, I'm a worm. I'm not a man. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. 
boy, that soul doesn't die. It just continues to degenerate. Verse 45, if thy foot offend thee, cut it off, for it is better for thee to enter and halt into life than having two feet to be cast in the fire, hell into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out, for it is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God. Now notice how life and life and then kingdom of God. For Israel, their eternal life was sitting down there in that kingdom. With one eye having two eyes to be cast into hell, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Again, boy, that's a tough deal. Now watch verse 49. For every one shall be, what? Salted with what? Fire. Woo. And every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good. What, are we, what do you use salt for? Preservation. Preserve, don't you? That, that soul of the lost degenerates down into a maggot, to a worm. A maggot. And it's preserved. It's never going to go away. Come over to Luke 16. Luke chapter 16. That's tough. That's harsh. That's the judgment of God. Luke 16. I love this passage. Starting verse 19, you run down to the end of the chapter. It's the rich man and Lazarus where the Lord literally peels back the earth, the crust of the earth, and lets you see down into hell. Abraham's bosom and Lazarus. Now, by the way, you know what people, you know how people get around this? They say it's, it's a what? It's a parable. So if it's a parable, then all of the things in the parables have to symbolize something. Okay? Because that's Matthew 13. We're just getting into the parables and understanding how to read them on Wednesday night. All the stuff in that parable have to symbolize something. So when you read it, start there in verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels. So, okay, what is, what is the beggar dying? What does that symbolize? Now, this is what man says. This is not a parable, by the way, okay? But this is what man says. This is how they get around this. What do the angels symbolize and represent? Into Abraham's bosom, but the rich man was also died and was buried. All right, what does all that represent? Listen, folks, if you're going to tell me that that's a parable, then you better tell me what it all symbolizes. Because a parable is a truth. <laughs> that's what it is. The reason the Lord talked in parables wasn't to make the message easy for everybody to receive. Matthew 13 says no. I'm talking to them in parables so that that apostate nation doesn't understand what I'm talking about and you believing remnant folks over here get what I'm talking about. It's clear as a nose on your face. That's what the verses say. Verse 23, And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Notice, in hell, you have, and, and hell in this, at this time, two compartments, Abraham's bosom and torments. Okay, paradise. When the Lord said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me where? In paradise. Hell is a real place. And you know what's going on in it. 
You, you, a finger. Your soul has a bodily shape to it. A finger. Eyes. He cried. Communication. He's tormented. Tongue. All that stuff going on there. This isn't a ceasing to exist environment. <laughs> it's a uh-oh environment. Verse 25, but Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth the good things and likewise Lazarus the evil things, but now he is what? Comforted. And thou art tormented. Oh, hey, that's verse 7 back there in Romans 2. Living that life of goodness. Seeking glory and honor in him, but he was doing it for himself. He wasn't doing it for anybody else. So the soul knows what's going on. And it's for eternity. Matthew 25. And we, I mean, there are so many verses. You could just keep going on and on and on. We're not going to do that. Matthew 25. Look at verse 41. Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he, and that's the, the Lord, sitting on his throne, say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, from me ye cursed, into everlasting fire. How long is that fire lasting? <laughs> everlasting, okay? <laughs> Prepared for the devil and his angels. Isn't that interesting? The rich man, these, these guys here, the Pharisees, you know what they claim? We have Abraham as our father. You know what the Lord said? I can make those stones in the sons of Abraham. Ye of your father, the what? The who? The devil. What was hell prepared for? The devil and his angels. Do you, I hope you realize that God never, God did not make hell for human occupation. But when you became a son of the devil, a descendant of the devil, now it's your place. That's what's going on there. Verse 46. And these shall go away into everlasting, there it is, punishment. Not rehab. Not correctional facilities. Not going to get better and let out one day. Not going to let them out so they don't get the COVID. No, everlasting punishment. But the righteous into life eternal. Again, come over to Revelation 20. On your way, stop, stop at Romans 2. And we'll get Revelation 20. Romans 2. God never intended for man to go to hell, folks. He intended for man to take the deal. That's why... The salvation, Romans 3, when we get over there and that plan's revealed in, in, in verse 22 of Romans 3, it's unto all and upon all them that believe. The kicker is that it's unto all. It's available to everyone. See, the plea deal, the son came in to the judge and says, look, you put their account onto me. Here's the deal. Anyone who accepts the deal, I will take their second death, their judgment. And the father says, okay, we'll do it that way. So man comes up and he goes, did you take the deal? No, he didn't take the deal. Okay, let's open your deeds up. Let's see how you compared to the standard. Romans 2, he says there at the end of verse 5, against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous. See that day of wrath? He says there in the end of verse 8, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish 
upon every soul of man that doeth evil. That day is going to come, Revelation 20. Here's the day. Revelation 20, starting verse 11. You see, folks, the dead will rise. Well, there is a resurrection of the damned, if you will. Okay? There's a resurrection of the righteous, and there's a resurrection of the damned. Where did the damned get raised to? Well, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and he that sat on it, from whose face the earth and, the he and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. So we're at the great white throne judgment. <clears throat> okay? I'll knock your socks off. Physically, this will be located physically on the earth, north, and like the Lebanon area up on the Mediterranean Sea, north of Israel and Jordan and all that up there. Okay? How you know that is from Solomon. When Solomon's last days, he sat on a, he sat on a throne, a, an ivory throne. What color is ivory? White. Now, it's inlaid with gold, but it's a white throne, and he's up in Lebanon, up in the, and he's got 666. He's got six lions, six stairs, six lions. He took on the number of the Antichrist at the end of his days. I'm telling you, this stuff is, works out all day long and three times on Sunday. Okay? Verse 12, and I saw the dead. Notice, small and great, all equal. No one higher than the other. Stand before God, boy. Who can stand before God? No one. Nobody can. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. There's the plea deal. Are you in that book of life? You didn't take the deal. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which was... In it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. By the way, the sea there, that's not the Pacific and the Atlantic. That's the, the, the waters underneath the, underneath the earth, outside of everything, where those angels are held in judgment until this day. Okay? In Ephesians, Philippians 2 the Lord says, every knee shall bow. Things of heaven, oh, I just had it. <laughs> Drew a blank. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Of things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth. That's the sea. They're bowing right there. That's why in 21.1, when he says there's no more sea, guess what? There's no more container down there holding them bad boys away. See, people use that sea thinking about the, the oceans open. If you died at sea, where do you go? Heaven or hell? You do. Your body's going to be eaten by the fishes. That isn't the, you're in part of death and hell that just delivered them up, see. Okay, anyway, verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Come back to Romans 2. I think you get the point. This is how the judgment of God is going to work. If you come in and you plead, I've lived a perfect life. I've lived a life of, for others, of service to others. What are they? Uh, they there's a po po social 
justice, social stuff. I did all this for other people, never for myself. He's going to pull the book out and say, oh, yeah? You better have continuance and well-doing all the way across. And guess what? You don't. You don't match the standard. And if you walk in and you say, you know what? I lived a good life. I took care of things. But I didn't, I ain't, no, I'm just going to, you know, I don't believe in God. And I, and I didn't do human evil, murder and all that. You know what he's going to say? You still didn't take the deal. You still didn't trust the gospel. So what we're seeing here in verse 6 to 10 is not a new plan of salvation, a new way to get saved by working. It's rather a description of the justice of God against those who chose to stand before the judge. And I'll be honest with you, take the plea deal. (laughs) That's what you need to take. Trust that gospel message. That's what you need to trust. Now, starting in verse 11, we'll get into that, for there is no respecter of persons. And and plea number two is going to start. And plea three and four and so forth, okay? That's where we're at. That's what's going on here. When you start talking about eternal judgment and damnation and hell and so forth, people get uneasy about it. But guess what? That's the backdrop that Christ went and died on Calvary. Because man had a problem. And they weren't, the only place, the only way to fix it was by him. Living, continuing perfectly, seeking everything that the Father would have him to do, doing it perfectly. Never missed a beat. Could you imagine never missing a step? He did. And he goes in chapter 3 of Romans, Paul, the, the, the God the Father says, I place my trust, my faith in his blood. He did it. Trust him. Believe him. That's why this is such a boom. Courtroom. Guilty. You didn't take the deal. Okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your son. And we thank you for everything that he accomplished for us at Calvary. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. We'll see you back here at 11.